Welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, Really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeysett. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests and help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the utterly ridiculous and everything that flows in between. This week's guest is Dave Taylor. Dave is CEO of LDR Leadership, which provides evidence-based leadership practices that help guide companies towards success. Dave, welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Great. Well, before we dive in, thank you, Dave. You can find out all of that information on our website if you visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk. So, Dave, our first question today to get things moving, we'd really like to know more about your team effectiveness model. Where did it come from? What was the genesis? How did it first arise? Thanks for asking that question. And to me, this is one of those testaments to continuous learning. So when I retired from the Army, the United States Army in 2017, I had spent a lot of time with high-performing organizations, high-performing teams, high-caliber teams. And what I really wanted to know is the science behind team development. I didn't want to just rest on my laurels of this is what I did in the military as I moved in the corporate world. But what was the science behind it? So I went back and got my uh, graduate degree in leadership from Georgetown University. And there was a class called Leading Teams uh, that was led by a gentleman named Dr. Mike Lowry. And he really first introduced me to the concept of uh, team effectiveness model. So I took that, did a lot of research, developed my own model of it. And then as my team expanded, we continued to evolve it into what it is today, which we really look at is what are the five years that go into creating a high performing organization? And we do that around an input process and output design. So if we look at the input, the first three gears. And we like to use gears because you can kind of visually think about this, you know, so that first gear is the alignment. Do we have proper alignment? Do we have a clear vision, clear purpose? What are our objectives and our goals? Very important. So we have that. So we know where we want to go. That next gear is the design. So how do we design our team? What are the roles or responsibilities? What are the diverse nature of thought that we need to bring in? So we've got the alignment, that gear starts moving, we build the team, we build the team design. Then we move to that third gear, which is a coaching mindset. So we like to say, hey, everybody's got to have a coach to win mentality. How do we get our leaders, our employees moving in the right direction in a positive aspect with the mindset of, Everything we're talking about, we're trying to get the best out of everybody. So those first three gears were in the input. That second process is operations and activities. So those first things are in place. What is the process we're using? How are we going about doing the daily activities, the communication, the coordination to make those things work, which gives us the output or the fifth one, which is positive culture. So you've got the alignment, design, coaching, mindset, process. All these gears starts moving together to a positive culture. And then that equals a high-performing team output. 
which we like to say are really kind of based around 10 characteristics of high performing teams. And everything we have built, our entire curriculum and our training is based off and tied in directly to support these attributes uh, that really kind of lead us towards a high performing organization. So following on from that, Dave, I've got two questions I'm going to ask now. You spent a lot of time working with incredibly high-performing teams in the military. Now, the thing with the teams you'd worked with is failure means loss of life, potentially. So the stakes are incredibly high. Was it a culture shock coming out of that environment and culture where high performance is an absolute expectation? into this corporate world where actually high performance is a rarity. How did you balance that and your expectations there? Yeah, it was a learning curve, I guess I should say, right? It was a a learning curve, but an an important one in terms of just the nature of the way the military was and the standard. I think one thing that I would, I really noticed is that in the high performing organizations that I served with in the military, there was a very clear set standard and the really good high performing organizations adhere to the standard and they enforce the standard. And I think that was one thing I really started to, to see is high performing organizations in the world. Yes, they exist. And I think some that really separated is, Hey, here's the standard. And you know how we very clearly laid out what the expectations and standards are. And then are we holding people accountable? And I think that's maybe a little bit of the difference is maybe because it's not high stakes. In the military, yes, it's life or death. So the patience might not be there. And it's easy to enforce that standard where sometimes it's just simply not. When I think there's a tendency, human nature for people to hope that self-correction occurs instead of having a courageous conversation with somebody. And it, it took a lot for me to kind of realize it's not right or wrong. There's just differences in leadership and leadership styles from the military to the, to the corporate world. And I, I sometimes would say that leading in the corporate world is actually in some ways more difficult than leading in the military. Thinking back to that mindset expectations, that setting the very clear standards and then holding yourself, holding people accountable to that. There are loads of leadership development companies out there. What separates your company, so LDR? other leadership companies? Well, I like to say there's really three things, and you mentioned it up front, which is one, it's evidence-based. So we bring research to our training. I've always been very cautious of, because of my background, and the the company is not built or the the foundation is not based on military, but people see the background, they think that's it. To me, it was important to understand the evidence-based. So I think one, we're evidence-based, we bring research to it, we like to build partnerships. So we are not a believer of coming in and saying, hey, here's 70 pages. We kind of worked with your team. Here's what we think. Good luck. And you leave. A lot of our, our partners, and I specifically use the word partners, are with us 5, 10, 15, uh, 20 years because our biggest success, what we really get a lot of excitement out of is when someone reaches back out and says, hey, that really had an impact for me both professionally and personally, because I can take some of this stuff back at home. And I think the third thing is we have a copyrighted performance management training system that has been proven to work in terms that we really believe in mastering the basics. And I think a lot of the things 
companies have uh, that run into is we promote people that are technically competent into management positions, but we never train them on actually how to manage people. So for us, we really focus on that pain point because if we don't, those managers continue to, to move up and they've never been given the tools, but then we get mad at the man managers for not holding people accountable, but we've never given them the tools. And the more and more I studied and research, I always find it interesting too, when we think about the universities or the colleges we go to. So much of it is based on creating a technical competency that when we go out in the corporate world, there's really not a whole lot of managing. And I think we may or may not agree that leadership and management, while there's some transformational leadership that encompasses it all, there's different skills that go into leadership and managing. And for us, we take a lot of pride in kind of bringing all those things together. You may have caught us, Dave, smiling at your answer there. I'm, I'm talking for Helen, but sometimes we read each other's minds in the fact that what you're talking about is a lot of overlap between the organization you've built, the, the system, the proven system, that evidence base, and the fact that we do as, as organizations operate a similar place. We're both in that space of leadership and we both all have that passion for it. But I think the greater the differentiation, the more there is the space to build those capabilities because management and leadership is so complex. So we smile at those areas of overlap, the evidence-based approach, the impact you talk about. Lots of people speak about impact and it's a bingo phrase. It's everywhere without any definition of what it really is about, that behavior change it's supposed to really generate. So I smiled a lot as you were giving those kind of points of differentiation, but equally at the thought that the more of us that are creating these kind of organizations, the more there is the opportunity to actually bring skills to the complex. So that little preamble takes me to the next question. And I just wanted to share the fact that we saw those great similarities. And we want to go back into some of your military history and, and you've been in your company now since 2017, as you said. Tell us a little bit more about your learnings from your history with the military that translates into the corporate world. You've already mentioned some of those differences and similarities, but we'd like you to share a few more if you would. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. First, I really love the overlap that you had mentioned. Uh, I think it's great when you're meeting and talking with folks that see things in a similar fashion, it's really kind of rewarding. So thank you for, for mentioning that. I get asked that question a lot and there's a lot of things I learned and the way I'll answer this is maybe unique in the sense of one is teamwork. Right. So teamwork is crucial for mission success in the military. What I've learned on how to bring that out is there's probably a little more collaboration that is required in the corporate world in the sense that the structure of the military is such that Vicky, I may ask you a question and I may be as open as I want and say, Hey, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. But because of the nature or the rank structure. At a certain point, you may just stop and say, okay, well, I'm not going to push it anymore. Where in the corporate world, maybe a little more collaboration. And I think really at the end of the day, everybody operates behind the team. Take the, take a sports analogy of the best golfer in the world. Well, the best golfer in the world's got a caddy, he's got a manager, he's got somebody doing logistics. Everybody has a purpose within an organization and with a team and nothing in my mind really gets done without good positive teamwork. Integrity is another thing that I really hold true in terms of 
it's the foundation of trust amongst peers and soldiers that you work with. And in the corporation and the corporate world to me is honest and transparent communication. I always like to highlight communication because that is such a critical thing that I think we overestimate our capabilities on how well we do it. And we're probably not as good as we think we can or that we think we are. But it, to me, um, integrity and open and honest communication is great for the team. And by the team, I'm talking your clients, your stakeholders, your partners, it, your integrity is who you are. That's to really value that. And then courage. Now, courage is kind of, I look at courage in kind of two different ways here. So courage in the military, maybe we're facing a physical or mental challenge. The difference to me in the corporate world is it's kind of a calculated risk in getting comfortable in that nature. And for me, I learned that, still learning that, because with any decision, right, with any decision, there's uncertainty and risk. And because I am not familiar, or I was not as familiar in the business world, it took some courage to take some risks that I was normally comfortable with because I could not mitigate them to the same extent because I didn't have the repetition. So I like to say that ties into resilience, another capability or something that moved over is the resilience and getting comfortable with failing forward, right? We only fail if we repeat the same mistake twice, but if you fail, how do you get yourself up and learn from that and continue to move forward? And I think those are really three or four of the things that I can say uh, I brought from the military over to the, the corporate world. I just think it's such an interesting transition. I used to work quite closely with a guy who was a submarine captain. And that sense of teamwork, there is no redundant individual on a submarine. So everybody's safety, everybody's well-being is critical because if one of those cogs in the whole gearbox goes out, the submarine can go down. So it's a really interesting focus on that teamwork. And I think we spend a little bit too much time in the corporate world is where I've spent nearly 25 years of my life, making sure and praising and putting spotlights on those high-performing individuals instead of those high-performing teams. So I think it's a really interesting differentiate to pull through. The other thing you mentioned was that actually most people aren't that great at honest and transparent communication. And this sort of comes on to our next question because I couldn't agree more. I think I'm pretty good at it and I'm still most probably not that good. One of our mantras here at Defy is awareness trumps everything. So awareness trumps everything, awareness of self, awareness of others, etc. Why do you think, however, that self-awareness is so important? Because I wish I was better at it when I was younger. I'd say that kind of half jokingly, but half true. I got divorced in 2011. And to me, when you have something like that, you can either choose it to be a negative or how do you make positive growth out of something uh, like that. So I did a lot of self-reflection uh, from that time frame, And I realized the better we are at knowing ourselves, the better we can lead others, the better we can get out of our own way and let others shine. And we have to be self-aware in that because we also have to be confident in that aspect. And it's not always easy, but the, the more and more I learn about self-awareness and emotional intelligence, the more I'm convinced it just has an impact on leaders, how we lead and how that can impact the team or organization. Uh, it's a real powerful thing uh, that I think we don't discuss enough. We like to jump into team, 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 
And oftentimes we need to say, okay, well, let's figure ourselves out on an individual basis first. What are our values? What do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about an organization? And they build upon that. And if we look at the four well-known components of emotional intelligence, self-awareness being one, I think it's a differentiator or can be a differentiator between good leaders and excellent leaders. So Dave, we often ask this question to our guests and it, it relates to our organization, Defy Expectations. And at Defy Expectations, we like to be a little bit maverick and that idea that seek forgiveness afterwards. So we have a question that we pose, which is to seek your defiant pearl of wisdom. Where have you been a little bit maverick and where have you sought forgiveness afterwards? And how would you pay that forward to others who are considering leadership, whether it be scaling up their leadership, whether it be an emerging leadership role, but just for you to pay forward any of those defiant pearls of wisdom you'd learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, leading can be one of the most difficult and rewarding experiences uh, because we just have an amazing impact on people. And when I think about that question, I think about, all right, if I could go back when I was younger, what would I say? And I'd say one, embrace failures. Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. We can try to make everything perfect. It can really just thwart us. So get comfortable being uncomfortable. Develop your emotional intelligence. I absolutely believe it's a game changer. Constantly learn and bring people on board who complement your skills or have strengths that you do not have. And that goes back to being comfortable because you might bring someone on the team that you might think is smarter than you, and they probably should be smarter than you, but do they complement maybe a weakness that you don't have, but you really have to be confident and comfortable in that in order to really do it. Lead by example. And I'd say, you know, always actions are more than words because uh, as a leader, somebody's always watching what you do more than what you say. Be humble and find your values and be ruthless on chasing what is important to you. And I say that when I made a decision to retire from the United States Army, there were folks that told me I should do this, I should do this, I should do this. So your natural path is this. And I knew what my values were and I stuck with them and I went a completely different direction because I believed in myself and I got on myself in that aspect. And I think that's important. That really self-belief aspect is as folks are deciding what they want to do and thinking about leading. Thank you, Dave. And I love your use of the word ruthless. We use it quite a lot here and actually we get pulled up on it quite a bit because it's got some negative connotations, but actually I think it's a really healthy word to use in terms of choices, in terms of actions, get really crystal clear and thus ruthless on some of the decisions you need to make as, as leaders. For me, it's also the distinction between being kind and being nice. Yeah, Absolutely right. There's sometimes a ruthlessness to kindness, which there isn't to niceness. There was a, a saying we used to have because we, when my whole life, when we talked about people would say, well, you've given them a day off on Friday and people would think that was taking care of people. And I'm not saying that's not taking care of people, but the other aspect is, hey, if you are properly training somebody and giving them the tools, skills, and resources to be successful, you're also taking care of them in that sense, because you're helping setting them up for success. And it 
depends on how you look at certain things. And I agree with you. Sometimes you got to be ruthless on decisions and not in a negative manner, but in a positive manner. And one of the six aspects of leadership we talk about is managing well-being. And by that, we do not mean massages on a Thursday afternoon and free ice cream on a Friday. Yeah, you know, oh, that sounds good. Those are all, they're great, but they're not great six months later when the processes still suck and the systems don't work and they're not fit for purpose. Yeah, so I agree with you that ruthlessness in getting good processes and good systems in place manages well-being far more than some of the perks that we sometimes see. There's been so many things that have really stood out as you've spoken through this podcast and your responses to our questions. Just going back to the framing that you created of the five gears, it's incredibly visual. Learning to drive with a stick shift, as most of us did in the UK, is a labor in itself. So I think just being able to visualize those five levels, those five gears and the interplay between inputs and outputs, that was really, really provocative for me and evocative in terms of the visual way that you took us through that. The other thing that just really stood out for me, and it was something you mentioned just a moment ago, we spoke about the self-awareness question. And one of the things you talked about was how you encourage leaders to remember that they're always being watched. And quite often when we reference that or we speak about that, it's a big surprise to a number of leaders. And I think once again, there's things that you've said where you've drawn parallels, but it's just really underscoring the importance of and the significance of that. People are always watching, not necessarily what it is you're wearing or what your shoes say about you, albeit I've worked in sporting goods companies and that matters. But this notion that you are always being watched and to be aware of that and to combine this self-awareness with self-belief, I think there's so many powerful things that you said in such a really visually intertwined way. So I just want to say thank you for that, Dave. It was very powerful. Thank you. So if you've been as inspired as we have with our guest this week and the ideas that Dave has shared with us, please check back in as we're going to be running these regularly and we cover every aspect of the kind of skills leaders need to continuously develop, grow and to thrive in our complex world. Do look at our website, defyexpectations.co.uk and remember to follow us to get notified of our next episode. Mm -hmm.